Welcome to Nattering with the Knights. Nord Anglia International School, Hong Kong's P department, talking about sport, physical activity, health, and a host of other topics. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nattering with the Knights with me, Mr. Erskine. Today we sit down with Mr. Scrivener, another PE teacher here at Nord Anglia International School, Hong Kong, and we're discussing some alternative forms of physical achievement and exertion in this episode, notably hiking to the highest summit in Africa and one of the highest mountains in the world, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Back in 2015, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to climb this mountain with Miss Jones. Back in 2019, as part of his honeymoon, Mr. Scrivener also managed to get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro with his new wife. Mount Kilimanjaro is a dormant volcano in Tanzania. It has three volcanic cones, Kaibo, Mawenzi and Shira. It is the highest mountain in Africa and the highest single freestanding mountain in the world. 5,895 metres tall, which is 19,341 foot above sea level, and it's about 4,900 metres above its plateau base. A study of people attempting to reach the summit of Kilimanjaro in July and August 2005 found that only 61% actually succeeded in getting to the top, and 77% experienced acute mountain sickness, AMS, Getting to the top of this mountain is by no means guaranteed. We hope you enjoy this episode as we talk about a couple of different forms of physical activity and some of the stories that we share as we go through it. So as always, get your earphones in, get up and get active and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to our next episode of Nattering with the Knights. Today I am joined by Mr Scrivener, another one of our PE staff here at Nord Anglia International School, Hong Kong. How are you today Mr Scrivener? Very well, Mr Erskine. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no problem. And I say we're hoping today to talk to a little bit more about some alternative types of fitness and, and achievements. Uh, and the main focus of that is is Mount Kilimanjaro, where we've both been fortunate enough to, to get to the top of. So first of all, what was the kind of background to wanting to climb Mount Kilimanjaro for you? Um, lots of reasons, really. First and foremost, um, it was you know part of my honeymoon. So my, my now wife and I were uh, very keen to do something that um, was fairly challenging and we thought that climbing a mountain might be a nice way to kind of um, start off our marriage. Um, but also, I do a lot of hiking. It's something that I really enjoy. Um, in the lead up to getting to the mountain, you have to hike through lots of national park. So the overall experience, there, there's lots of hiking involved as well as climbing up a rather high mountain. <laughs> Um, we also knew that we were going to go to Zanzibar for um, part of our honeymoon and I thought we can't go all the way to Zanzibar which is just off the coast of Tanzania without actually going to the mainland itself. I've um, always wanted to go to East Africa or, or further south. I've spent a little bit of time in Morocco and Egypt in the north but always really keen to see more of uh, maybe what I think of more as like the typical Africa that you see um, on TV or that you learned about when you were a kid. So, yeah, very keen to get to East Africa. Um, I've climbed some other mountains before in my in my, in my time as well. So um, it was just another mountain to check off the list, a pretty important one on the in the grand scheme of things in terms of mountains. Uh, I'm also quite competitive as well, believe it or not. Um, 
I really do like the idea of, of overcoming a challenge. So climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro, I thought, was, was one of those challenges that could be um, ticked off. It might not have been easy, but um, certainly one that I was keen to try. Uh, after all, I am a Kiwi. We were the first people to conquer Mount Everest, so I suppose it's in my blood or my genes or whatever to try and give it a go. Good start. I like how we threw that out in last. Um, for me, actually, it was it was Miss Jones's fault that I ended up doing Kilimanjaro. She suggested and was going to go by herself when we both lived in, in Kuwait, uh, and I was extremely miffed that I wasn't included in her original thoughts. Um, so I kind of invited myself, probably, would be more accurate to what happened. Um, so we, we weren't really doing a huge amount of hiking and trekking at the time in Kuwait because, for anybody who knows it, it's a flat desert, um, not really the most appealing hiking uh, thing. But I was of the opinion that um, we were both kind of fit enough to do it, but for us the draw was that, that fresh air, that kind of the beauty that comes with, um, with that area of Africa. Uh, and it's, it's not something that you can you can ever get close to replicating in the desert. So we were very keen to do that. Um, but yeah, we were both of the opinion that we were going to be fine fitness-wise. Me personally, I was feeling like I was, you know, athletic enough to do it. And I was in the middle, you know, I was running and playing football, CrossFit, cycling, etc. So um, I felt that, you know, hiking a mountain, ultimately, I would be okay with Um that being said, I also hadn't slept in a tent very much. I'd only slept in a tent, I think, two or three times. And obviously, uh, as you'll find out, going up Kilimanjaro requires you to be in there for well, every night that you're there. So whatever that, I was five or six nights uh, in tents, uh, which, to be fair, was the best part. Then uh, One of the best parts, because I never struggled to go to sleep uh, after the work that was required. So um, so in terms, so with the greatest respect to you, Mr. Scriven, and it's obviously a running joke in the office quite often, is, Fitness is not one of your biggest interests. Um, how did that impact on your climbing? How did you find that? Um, yeah, well, you're right. It's Fitness is probably not... Well, I won't say it's not my strongest suit, but it's I just don't really get a huge amount of pleasure from exercise just for the sake of fitness. So in my life, I've always played team sport, played cricket, played rugby, played hockey when I was at school... And so I've always been involved enough in those sports with trainings that I've never really needed to do much just fitness by itself. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do a lot of hiking as well, like I mentioned before, outside of um, team training stuff. So I was never really that worried about my levels of fitness. I feel like I've kind of got enough in the tank that I could overcome this challenge. Um, I suppose to answer your question, how did it impact my climbing? It just uh, probably made me a little bit more cautious about my approach to it, thinking that you know I might not be as fit as Mr. Erskine or maybe Mr. Reed or some of the other more fitnessy type dynamic dynamic yeah, people yeah. that we have I'm in the office. Perhaps. Dynamic, yeah. um, so I decided that we would take quite a slow route up. My wife was also keen on taking a little bit longer just to make the most of it mm -hmm. as well. So taking a lot longer um, means that you get to acclimatise um, but a little bit easier as well. You have obviously longer to acclimatise to adjust to the altitude. Um, we took the poly-poly approach, as they say, in Tanzania. On repeat, repeat like all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, 
So I, I didn't think getting to the top would be a huge issue. I had climbed mountains previously, or one mountain that was of similar height, and the only thing that really worried me was uh, was altitude sickness and whether I would suffer from that. And so talking on that, you, you mentioned you maybe climbed a similar height mountain uh, and altitude sickness. I feel that there's a story behind this. It's a little bit of a backstory, yeah, and my friends that know me well will often remind me of the story. Uh, back in 2010, I, I took six months off of work and I travelled uh, around Southeast Asia and then in South America with um, my two best friends, and we found ourselves in Ecuador. And in Ecuador, there's a it's a mountain, it's also a volcano, it's called Mount Cotopaxi, and we thought that... Um, it would be pretty cool to climb a volcano in Ecuador. You know, it's not often you're in Ecuador, and it's not often you climb a volcano. So mm-hmm. we thought we'd, we'd give it a go. Um, the mountain itself is 5,897 meters above sea level, which is just slightly higher, two meters higher, I think it yeah. is, than Kilimanjaro. Um, I was probably a little bit fitter back then than I than I am currently. A little bit more active, although I had been travelling for a few months beforehand, so perhaps the levels of fitness had, had fallen away somewhat. Um, but we found ourselves in this uh, in this town. We were keen to try and climb this volcano. Didn't really have kind of much understanding or knowledge about altitude sickness or acclimatisation and what you needed to do for that. So we just went out and we walked around this crater. It's called Kilatoa Crater which was about 3,800 metres above sea level, which is in enough to get itself you out of breath, yeah. is enough. Yeah. Um, that was a day walk. I think we walked for about six hours around that crater. And then the next day we went to the town and we booked into our trip to go up the, uh, up the volcano. <laughs> so all in all, pretty um, a pretty quick turnaround, really. Yeah, and yeah, I can see where this is going, but... So anyway, we, we book onto this trip, a short one, just two nights and, um, or sorry, two days and, and one night. We got driven to 4,800 metres, which is where the hut was that we stayed in. Um, it was in hired gear, not the best hired gear. Had a couple of guides with us who turned out to be slightly maverick in their approach. Um, had a little bit of training on... on the equipment that we needed to use, so we had to use crampons and ice picks because we were climbing across a glacier for part of it. So we found ourselves <laughs> up at about one o'clock in the morning. Um, you had to do it early because you go across the glacier, you can't do it in the daytime. The it, yeah. integrity of the of the ice is compromised during the day, so you have to go at night. So we started, the start of the climb, you go across um, scoria, the very fine rocks. It's kind of when you put your foot in, slides a little bit in the rocks. That was fine. I think uh, that was about perhaps one third of the total elevation was on the scoria. So once we got to the scoria, I was actually fine, or to, to the ice. Had to put on the crampons and get the ice pick and stuff ready. And by that stage, I found that I was pretty fatigued already and still had quite a long way to go. Um, slowly started making my way across the ice and it was clear that I was a little bit slower than my two friends I was with. So the guides decided that they would separate us, two faster friends and 
one guide went off without me. Right. And uh, I stayed back with the other with the other guide. Slowly trudged our way up. His only words of encouragement were "Vamos," which means faster. <laughs> Probably didn't really help me go faster. Just annoyed me. Uh, but anyway, we kept going very slowly. But I did. I got to the top. I think my friends were on their way back down. They'd passed me maybe half an hour before I got to the top. But essentially, I got to the top. I was very happy I got to the top, but I was completely drained of energy. Didn't really have much left in the tank. I had about 20 minutes or so up there to recover. But when you're at that altitude, there's not much recovery yeah. that takes place. So um, I took the snaps, finished off my water. So I didn't have any water or food for the way down. Uh, and then slowly started the trip back down, had a couple of stumbles on the ice because I was quite fatigued, but eventually got down, got to the scoria again where um, to take off the crampons, put the ice pick away, and then it looks like it's a fairly simple journey back down across the fine rocks to get to the hut. But uh, I found out when you've got nothing left in the tank, you're completely fatigued, the legs are like jelly, you step into the scoria and you can't stabilize yourself. I ended up basically sliding and falling on my bum. And this happened over and over again until my guide decided that he'd had enough of me and he went off down the mountain by himself and I was kind of left on my own and uh, I could see the hut below in the distance. It wasn't that far away in terms of the total distance, but given how I was feeling, it was... A very, very long way away. So uh, eventually I got down. It was incredibly difficult, but I got to the hut physically and mentally exhausted, drained. I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I might have had a little cry when I got to the, got back to the hut and collapsed on my bed, but... Um, yeah, fair to say the, the lessons learned there, I just, was just completely unprepared for that. Didn't spend enough time acclimatizing, didn't have altitude sickness pills, physically wasn't ready for it in terms of my fitness levels, didn't have enough water, went with the dodgy guides, did it in too short a time frame, and uh, it was an incredibly difficult experience. But I'm proud that I managed to actually achieve it. Um, turns out I probably did have some altitude sickness that was affecting me. Um, but yeah, the lessons learned, I definitely needed to be a lot more prepared. So going back to the approach to Kilimanjaro, taking it over a lot longer period of time, yeah. doing it in eight days instead of um, two days, and using altitude sickness pills certainly made the experience much more enjoyable. I can totally sympathise with the altitude sickness uh, feeling again. I was somebody who felt that Kilimanjaro was going to be fine because, you know, it was ultimately just a hike um, up to a, a relatively tall mountain, but it wasn't Everest. So, you know, I was sort of confident that I could get up there, but I was taken aback by how challenging it was, not just on the, the daily commitment to the to the hiking, but also to to those to the altitude and the feeling and the impact it had on my body. Like the very first night, I woke up, and we were only at about maybe two and a half thousand meters above sea level. And I remember waking up in my tent to go to the bathroom, 
and I already had this like dull headache and I just knew that that was a start. Um, we also did not have any altitude sickness tablets given it was our first real um, introduction to high, high level hiking if you like. Very fortunately there was a, a guy in our group called Kyle and I still remember him, thank you very much Kyle, who was working for the US Navy and had been oversubscribed his Diamox tablets, which is the, the altitude sickness tablets, and he very generously had enough to therefore give us um, enough to basically get me through. But I didn't take any for the first two days. I was almost in a backlog, tried to catch up with them, uh, and I, I paid the price on the last day, um, really struggled um, with my head, like my felt nauseous, um, and yeah, yeah, you're right, fatigue. It's a, it's a, it's a really hard description to... You feel like you just all you need to do is put one foot in front of the other, but like your body just doesn't want to to generate that force, and you just all you want to do is lay down and sleep, which is obviously going to be the worst thing for it. And, and that lack of oxygen in your blood, oh, it's uh, it's quite something. So yeah, that was um, it was definitely a challenge for us. Um, but now having heard your Ecuador story, I wish I'd heard that before <laughs> I went, and I would have maybe been better prepared. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only thing that will make it better is going down, but then you're struggling to yeah, get down. Yeah, you can't even generate the force to go down. Um, so in terms of the route on Kilimanjaro that you took, um, what do you remember which route you took and sort of how long that was to summit and descend? Yeah, so we took the Lamosho route. Um, as I said, that was over eight days and seven nights. So we spent basically six days walking, hiking, getting up to the point of the um, final campsite. And then it was a six, uh, sorry, it was a 1 a.m. departure, I think, this time to reach the summit. So we, um, we took around about five hours, I think, from, from the base camp to get up to the summit. Um, we only stayed for 20 minutes. It was freezing mm-hmm. at the top. You literally couldn't stay for any longer. It was that cold. Um, and then went back down had breakfast back at the camp, packed up, and then just spent the day slowly getting down to around about, I think it was about 3,000 metres. So I think all in all the elevation loss on the final day was around about 2,785 metres. Um, which is the which best is feeling ever. unbelievable feeling, but also quite a long day. Mm. And then we camped overnight and then just a short hike out on the final day. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were. We took the Mashami route. I think is how you say it. We were slightly. We were a couple of days short, so five and a half days up would be probably the best description. One and a half days down. Uh, that again, we we did this the kind of midnight uh, ascent. We actually started probably earlier than you. Was it just you and you, your just wife? Okay, us, yeah. so we had a group of four, uh, two people that we didn't know. Because um, Kyle, U.S. Navy, he was fine. He wasn't going to. The other lady in our group struggled a little bit with the 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 altitude and and therefore we actually slowed the whole group down to the point where we actually missed the sunrise. We were aiming to catch the sunrise. We got there pretty soon after, but even then the sun was up and it was absolutely Baltic. Like my water bottle had fro- or my camelback had frozen uh, about an hour and a half before the summit, so I had had no water while I was struggling with this incredibly sore head for the best part of ten hours or whatever it was. It was um, a real struggle, but when I got to the top, it was um, certainly worth it for the view. And yeah, you're right, we maybe stayed, we were maybe a little bit longer because we were still waiting on the other lady to join us. 
but yeah, going down was that feeling. It's like a, it's like your head just the cloud that's on your head just lifts, and and you feel like it's just such a relief, and you can really enjoy legitimate auction. Um, so yeah, we've obviously talked a couple of challenges that, that I've had, but what were some of the biggest challenges that you experienced on the climb? So obviously based on my prior experience in Ecuador, um, psychologically, I just didn't want that to happen again. Uh, I was worried that my body or my wife might react in, in the way that I did last time. And you never really know how your body's going to react to altitude, even when you take a long time to acclimatize or you take the, the altitude sickness pills, you still actually have no idea how you're going to react until you get to those uh, high levels of altitude. So psychologically, I, I, was, um, I was a little bit worried. That was a challenge, overcoming that. Um, I was also quite keen on just making sure we go very slowly, the poly-poly approach. Um, but at times that was a little bit slow for my wife. She wanted to go a bit faster. So just getting the balance right there in terms of the pace that we set uh, was, was some challenge as well. Um, but then obviously the most challenging part is the, the final ascent as well. When you're climbing through the night, taking kind of just one step at a time, going very slowly in the freezing cold, not knowing how your body's going to react. Um, it's a little bit daunting. Um, you can also look up above you on the mountain and you can see all the other head torches from the other climbers and you can see them but you don't know how far away they are, you don't know where the top is, not knowing kind of how long it's going to take is, is also quite daunting. I mean it's not a technical climb, Kilimanjaro, you don't have to go across ice like um, I did in Ecuador, so, but it is long, mm -hmm. it is a very long climb to get to the top, so... Um, I just kept my head down, put one foot in front of the other and just kept going. You know, the lungs are burning, head's getting a bit sore, you know, your water's frozen. Um, but then definitely when you get to the top, um, it's just the most unbelievable view you've ever seen. The sun coming up, uh, it's absolutely incredible. So very happy to, to reach the top and very happy to get to the top feeling a lot better than I did at the last mountain in Ecuador. <laughs> Um, yeah, for me it was the uh, like kind of more logistical things. I remember challenges. Obviously, the last day was a challenge at that hike through the through the night. Yeah, my head was so sore. I, I, we they recommended you listen to music because you obviously weren't going to waste your breath talking to people. <laughs> so I remember putting my earphones in, and my head was so sore that it felt like I couldn't have my headphones in. It was like piercing my skull. It was I maybe lasted an hour with my headphones in, and I had to abandon them. Because obviously I had a woolly hat on, I had my hood up, I had a buff over my face, it was so cold. Um, yeah, so I couldn't even handle the music. So that, that last day was a real challenge. But um, the timing of bathroom visits, you have to be very, you know, you have to be very disciplined. And mm -hmm. if you need, you need to go to the bathroom in the morning, that's your best time to go. And if you can't go then, then you're going you're gonna to struggle out in the uh, middle of the mountain. So make the most of the, the limited facilities there are mm -hmm. uh, and maximise them. For me, it was... I wanted to try and film and capture as much of the whole event as possible. So I wasn't, we didn't actually use our phones ever at all. And that was back in the day where we would have had very um, basic iPhones, I'm sure. But handling technology when you've got no power supply. So I was trying to GoPro a lot of the footage. I was trying to also use a, a normal handheld camera. 
uh, but obviously I wanted to keep my batteries fresh and, and make sure I didn't you know miss any any good footage and it's obviously the, the, the footage gets better the higher up the mountain you go but at the same time that's the least likely you are to still have battery power so again as an unprepared hiker um, the lady in the group had this amazing solar panel charger which I like it was like I'd never seen anything like it I was like this is unbelievable so I've, I've since bought myself one but um, yeah to try and make sure I had I used to sleep with my GoPro batteries in my sleeping bag to keep them warm because again obviously they used to lose charge a lot quicker um, so yeah they were a couple of judges the food wise I mean I can't fault the, the service we paid for the quality and the standard of the food I was always well fed and there was always more than enough and that's obviously a big concern of mine as you'll know is, uh, is being fed uh, so that part was actually remarkable I was worried about that and that actually was, was one of the best parts so yeah um, and then obviously there's a number of highlights of Kilimanjaro but can you just talk me through some of the ones that you you felt were the, the most standout um, I mean first and foremost overcoming the challenge with my wife was was really cool that's a very memorable experience for us both um, and a great way to, to kick off our marriage um, just seeing the porters at work I'm sure you'll remember this very vividly but these guys um, are just unbelievable in what they can do we are battling to go up up the mountain carrying just our day packs they've got 20 kilos of kit that they're carrying on their head or on their back mm -hmm. they're wearing old trainers oh, flip -flops, just yeah, completely just, not the, the clothing or the equipment that you would expect for you know, someone to climb up a mountain. So the work that they did is unbelievable and just the nicest people mm -hmm. you'll ever meet in your life. Um, so that was a real highlight, kind of getting to know the group of porters that worked with us to get up the mountain. and um, Yeah, just incredible guys. The scenery, obviously. Um, Kilimanjaro is one of the most stunning mountains that you'll see. I can't remember what they call it it's in Africa. It's got some special name, but it's... It's absolutely unbelievable. And you also get some really beautiful views of like the forest area, volcanic plateaus, lava towers. There's weird plants that look like trees. Uh, I can't remember the name of them. Sincerios or something like that, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, just some very unique things that I've never seen before. Um, just getting to see the mountain from different angles as well as you kind of wind your way around. Um, seeing animals as well. Remember monkeys in the forest on the way up at the beginning of the trip. Um, and then probably a highlight as well, which um, you'll remember well, is getting that shower after, oh, nice yes. hot shower after your eight-day trip, after washing with a bucket and a well, cloth. Miss Jones won't remember it because I used all the hot water. She did mention. Oh, she did, okay. So, yeah, I went for the shower first and was in there so long that when she went after, she was horrified to find it was actually a cold shower. Um, I've, I've been reminded of that multiple times. Um, yeah, for me, it was, yeah, obviously getting to the top. I did, like you said, in Ecuador, you got to the bottom and you whimpered a little bit. I definitely, um, definitely shed a little bit of a tear when I got to the top just because I was so relieved to finally make it and know that that was going to be potential the end of my discomfort because my discomfort wasn't um like it wasn't my muscles or I wasn't like injured it was like I just knew the moment I was going to go down I was going to feel so much better but I obviously wasn't accepting not getting to the top um 
the views along the way obviously were unbelievable. I remember that part. Some of the aspects of the climb, I remember there's a bit where you're kind of facing a rock and it's this massive drop down below your feet. It's on like day four or something. I think that's the Barranco wall. Yeah. And, scramble up the walls. And I had the GoPro on at you and I've still got footage of it. I just remember that being just such a phenomenal part. But then again, you're right, those porters used to do that with 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 massive duffel bags on their head. And I'm I'm absolutely terrified as I'm doing it and I've just got like a day pack on. It was just unreal. Um, just a general journey, like the day to day, like you've got no real worries. Um, like Timon and Pumbaa saying, "Lanking," you say, you know, there's no real worries. You're just sort of walking, having a chat about, you know, generally about absolute nonsense. In our group, we were obviously had those two other people, and we we just talked about all sorts. Um, and it's just, you know, it's such a nice feeling to know you've not got an agenda to meet, you're not checking your phone, you've got no emails coming in. I probably did have emails coming in, but it didn't matter because I was on holiday and I had no phone reception anyway. Um, The atmosphere in the evening, I remember sitting in our little dinner tent and getting your hot dinner delivered by some of our obviously amazing pourers and it was just, yeah, a really good experience sitting with your your dinner and again just chatting and playing some card games, um, getting my morning coffee delivered to me. That's never, it's not something that happens often. And uh, getting that delivered as soon as you wake up, even though if I was being you know really picky, it's not like the world's best coffee, but it does taste amazing because you're having it on Kilimanjaro. Agree, and delivered to you in your yeah. tent. And then the for me the finishing, so the porters actually got down the bottom of the mountain before us, um, and they set up this. They'd all dressed up in like their best clothing, and they'd like set themselves up. There was whatever twelve or thirteen of them. And they set up singing this song as a kind of like celebration of us getting to the top. Um, but they had like instruments and everything. And it was, I filmed the whole thing. It's like, I was, I was quite close to crying at that point because these guys just so cheerful, so happy, um, very underpaid. Um, we tipped them very heavily because I, obviously I thought their service was amazing, but also because I just can't believe that they do that level of work, that danger of work. Um, and they get paid what they do and so uh, to spend a week with those kind of guys was, was actually unbelievable it was one of the best parts um, so yeah I mean obviously that's kind of draws a kind of conclusion to our conversation but I think for me in summary I think for people that especially if you like to, to walk and hike which obviously I hope that a lot of people in Hong Kong do we, we have one of the best places here in the world to do that it's obviously not got the summits, the scale or the size of places like Kilimanjaro or, or in Ecuador, but there is so many adventures out there that you can kind of take in different aspects of what we've talked about today. You know, you've got hiking, you've got camping, you've got cooking options, uh, and, and hopefully, again, when restrictions ease, those, those options will open out even more, uh, and you can really see some amazing views uh, and parts of the country. And then hopefully that gives people the motivation to go and do similar things that we've done you know, there's, there's some unbelievable mountains and, and areas in the world that you can you can go and do that in and I say if you learn the skills in a place like Hong Kong uh, then you'll be better prepared than our first experiences uh, that we had when we went and did some more difficult climbing um, but yeah thank you for your time today Mrs. Giver and sharing some of your uh, your stories with us about the about the hiking absolute and, pleasure yeah and uh, hopefully we've We've, uh, we've shed enough light on our experience to, to give people an idea of what they can get up to as well. Um, so yeah, for our people that are listening, just embrace what you have around you, especially the guys here in Hong Kong, because there's some great opportunities to be had.
All right, thanks very much, guys, and see you next week. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nattering with the Knights. If you want to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, then please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please reach out to your PE teacher if you have any feedback or ideas about topics you would like to see and hear about in the future. In the meantime, have a great week and we will see you next time.